welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. We have a fantastic show for you. We're going to talk about single tenant net lease investment properties. You know, I think single tenant net lease investment properties is a very interesting subject because it's interesting to everyone, right? There's institutional investors who are investing in this space. Uh, there are private investors investing in this space. And there's even people going online and investing as little as $5,000 through crowdfunding and through REITs, investing in single tenant net lease properties. So we're gonna cover quickly some of the basics of this sector. And then we're gonna get into the weeds a little bit more. We're gonna talk about cap rates, uh, sales volume trends. We're gonna talk about the impact of rising interest rates on single tenant net lease properties. A lot of people are concerned about that. We're going to talk about the impact of the the uh, impact of the merger between the two drugstores and we're going to talk about some tips for those folks who want higher yields in their single tenant net lease properties and then lastly we're going to cover some gotchas that you want to watch out for when you're investing in single tenant net lease properties. And please welcome my guest here with me in Studio One. We have Scott Lindstrom. He is Director of Real Estate and Development with Gerard. They're a real estate development and construction company. They do business all over the southeast and pretty much, I guess, all over the eastern part of the U.S. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. We also have Nancy Miller here. Nancy is Senior VP with a National Net Lease Investment Group with Bull Realty. And she sells single-tenant net lease properties all over the southeast and all over the country. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Michael. Well, let's touch quickly on some of the basics of triple net uh, properties for the guys who uh, may be in, in, interested in investing in commercial real estate or maybe they just were driving down the road in their car like hey what are these guys talking about and then we'll dive deeper like we said so you know single tenant net lease properties are basically freestanding buildings they're leased to one tenant they're typically a very long-term lease and they're typically triple net, meaning that the tenants are taking care of all the operating expenses, taxes, insurance. And, and Nancy, is it kind of this mailbox money aspect of triple net lease sector that is really one of the pills of this uh, vesting in these types of properties? Absolutely. It's very hands-off. Yeah. It's a typically very, very safe, and they're typically long-term leases, so the owner doesn't have to worry about renewals every year or so, so they can just sit back and, as you said, they call it mailbox money. It's very, very easy to do. Yeah, I mean, that certainly has some appeal. I just want to go to my mailbox and, <laughs> and get a check, right? So you're not worried about uh, the taxes going up on the property. You're not worried about, the, in most cases, true triple net. You're not even worried about the, the roof and those sorts of things, right? Absolutely. It's, it's really sit back and enjoy, and we're seeing more and more investors who have really gotten out of multi-tenant properties, mm -hmm. and now they're doing single tenant and they're even building portfolios of single tenant because they're so much easier to deal with. Right. And then you also, you mentioned the safety of these tenants. So when you're talking about uh, national credit tenants, which is the majority of single tenant net lease properties is what we're talking about, um, you know, Scott, the, the investors really feel safe uh, with these types of tenants, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. they do. I mean, we, as a developer, I mean, we're always seeking out the highest quality tenants that we can with the best credit because mm -hmm. we know our money's made on the on the sale. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's talk about some of the cap rates that, that people are seeing. So, of course, the cap rate is also the cash on cash return in your first year if you pay all cash for a property. And we've seen some trends in cap rates that have really been compressing. What are you seeing out there, Nancy? 
Well, uh, year over year, 2014, we had cap rates averaging about a 6.67% cap rate on average in the one and a half to three-ish million dollar price point range, which is the most common price point range. That has dropped, cap rates have dropped or compressed uh, to six and a quarter percent, which is a decrease in cap rates of 6.3%. And we're always saying, when will they stop decreasing? Right. But they continue to. How about sales volume? What are you seeing there? Sales volume has also increased year over year. Uh, in uh, 14, 2014, there were about 905 transactions in this same sector. And this year, we'll see about 100, uh, excuse me, 1,072 transactions, which is an 18% increase, which is quite, quite high given that cap rates are dropping, but transactions, so there's a lot of demand for this transaction to keep going up. Yeah, well it shows the popularity you know, of this space and this sector for, for investors. And I guess it also shows that uh, some of the tenants are getting a little more active, right, Scott, than they were maybe in the recession. They are, they, uh, uh, the market is, is and has come back, but, but the tenants are being still more cautious uh, about their growth, which, which is good. And I think it's been healthy growth. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, again, some of the cap rates you're seeing, but now for some specific mm -hmm. tenants. Mm -hmm. So I guess the drugstores are typically the ones that are considered the most safe. Are those typically the lowest cap rates? What do you see in there? Uh, typically, you're going to see a five to five and a half cap rate for uh, a Walgreens, CVS, uh, Rite Aid, so forth, uh, on a long-term 25-year lease. It's a flat lease. There is no upside there on a new construction. So whatever my buy-in cap rate there, at, actually with inflation, a 5.5% cap rate becomes something lower 20, 25 years from now. And those cap rates on those types of drugstores, those are typically really long leases, what, 15 or 20 years? Well, the 25 years, and then they have five five-year options mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the pleasure of doing business, not to upset anyone who might be listening, uh, you, for the pleasure of doing business with, with one of those drugstores, you have a 50-year lease with no rent bumps, typically. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's interesting. And since we're talking about uh, drugstores, uh, there's a lot of uh, information in the news about the Walgreens Rite Aid merger and how that might impact the, uh, the sector. So for a listener that owns one of those drugstores, what might they expect? Well, uh, the combined companies will be about 12,500 locations. Um, at the present, from what I've read and, and researched, uh, they are going to keep separate names, uh, the Rite Aid and the Walgreens name. Uh, the cost efficiency is really the driver of this, and because uh, people are buying medicines and drugs online, in-store, and so forth, they want to be more efficient. Um, ultimately, I, I believe that they're going to wind up closing, whether it's one brand or the other, a couple thousand stores. And obviously, the um, FTC is going to be involved and scrutinize this, just like they did when Dollar General and Family Dollar were, were in discussions of what would be the impact of if, if one bought the other and so forth. So I think it's going to be... Um, uh, I think it will, time will tell, but where there's redundancy and cannibalizing of stores, we may see some stores close, but not to a huge, huge, huge extent. Interesting. So if you own a Rite Aid and there's a Walgreens across the street, 
you might be shaking in your boots that uh, they're going to go dark on the right aid. You know, uh, yeah, it could be. Whoever typically Walgreens uh, average sales per square foot are higher than a Rite Aid, but in some cases, if the Rite Aid is a superior location, mm -hmm. chances are the decision would be made to keep the Rite Aid open and maybe rebrand it over time or whatever. Are there already some deals for Rite Aids today? You're seeing some higher cap rates of people trying to trade out of those, or uh, they're kind of waiting? It's kind of waiting. I don't know what you've seen. Well, uh, you know, we're looking more at the opportunity, how much term is left on some of those leases when they do go dark, because mm -hmm. uh, they will be sublet in, in some mm -hmm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. But if there's a small amount of lease term, we see opportunity uh, in the value of that, that location, the real estate. Mm -hmm. And as a developer, that, that could be a play for, for us to, mm -hmm. to redevelop the property. Right. And of course, going dark means typically that the, the tenants moved out, they've shut down, but they're still paying the rent. But these are credit tenants, they've, they're going to pay the rent, uh, whether they sublease or do whatever they do. But you really don't like a dark store, you know, when you're investing in real estate, do you? Um, what about uh, some other cap rates? So what are some, like, say, dollar store cap rates now? Um, you know, for, uh, for some of the dollar stores, particularly Family Dollar, which we, we do a lot of work for, um, it really varies by state. And, and jump in on this, Nancy, if, if you want. But you know, we've got locations in Florida that are, that are trading below, below six. Uh, and then we've got areas uh, in Georgia, Alabama, kind of the southeast, that are about six, I'd say six and a quarter to, to six and a half. And then uh, we're looking at some stuff up in uh, Maryland and D.C. that we expect to get some sub-six numbers. Interesting. Now, sub-six, kind of new for that tenant? It, it is, but it, like I said, it's being kind of driven by the demand that some investors want properties in certain states. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they want to be where they want to be, right? That's, that's well, to that point, that there are tax-free states that an investor, Florida being one of no state income tax, Texas, and a few others around the country, often when, when someone calls us, they'll say their parameters, whatever it is, whatever type of single tenant, they'll say, I want to be in this state, this state, this state. We always think Florida is simply because they have a second home, but that's great. not it. Well, great. We'll take a short break. We'll get back. We'll talk about the impact of rising interest rates. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about single-tenant net lease investment properties. My guests are Scott Lindstrom. He's with Gerard, their real estate development and construction company, and Nancy Miller. She's a commercial real estate broker selling single-tenant net lease investment properties. And before the break, we were talking about uh, rising interest rates. Look into your crystal ball, Scott. You just want to start us out. Look in your crystal ball and tell us. You know, single single tenant net lease properties, in my opinion, seem to be the sector that could be most quickly impacted by rising interest rates. What does your crystal ball say? Well, unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, it's more of a snow globe. Snow globe. <laughs> so, <laughs> snow globe. I like it. But uh, it is getting more difficult uh, from a developer standpoint to to forecast. You know, we we look at lead times long before you see things go on the market, Nancy. I mean, we're we're trying to to look at 18 months to 24 months out. So it it is somewhat of a snow globe for for us. But 
But, but typically when, when we see interest rates rise, I mean, I think the, the single tenant, the cap rates for single tenant properties typically lags, lags at least six months behind that. But I think in, in this current environment, if, if they do rise, I, I really don't know that they'll have a, uh, an impact on them next year. Next year. So you think it may take a little bit longer? I think so. I think there's a lot of other factors that go into that, and I think one is right now supply and demand. Mm -hmm. There's limited supply and, and huge demand for the single tenant product. Right. Mm -hmm. And people are uh, searching for safe yield, right? Yes, they are. And it's a great place to find it, not only just commercial real estate in general, but specifically in this space where it's considered kind of one of the safest areas. I think another thing that's really interesting about single tenant net lease properties is liquidity of, you know, because commercial real estate in, in general is considered non-liquid investment, right? But if you want to sell a single tenant net lease property with 10 years on it, I could get that under contract tomorrow if you want me to. And I could probably close it, what, 45, 60 days, pretty easy, unless you're trying to get more than it's worth. But if you're trying to get a market price, it's pretty liquid. Well, I guess the impact of the rates rising depends on how fast they rise, right? But it's not a one-for-one one deal, right? So if, if a year from now we have interest rates that are a full 100 basis points or 1% higher, uh, it, it's not going to impact uh, commercial real estate with a 1% change in the cap rate, right? It's going to be smaller than that because of what you said, supply and demand. you got increasing uh, net income on some of these properties. But what do you think, Nancy? What's, what's the impact moving forward? If I'm one of your investors, um, and I'm, I'm concerned about buying a property today at a, at a sub-six cap, uh, and, and maybe I think that when I'm selling this property four or five years or ten years or whenever, uh, that, in, that interest rates are going to be higher. What should I expect? Well, I think my, my crystal ball is my crystal ball. It doesn't mean it's accurate, but I think that, sure uh, nah, <laughs> in the, in the uh, I, I would suspect that rates probably won't go up more than 50 basis points mm -hmm. in the next 12 months as they go up. Mm -hmm. I may be proven wrong. And I don't think that will affect the demand and cap rates. I think cap, that at a point where uh, the interest rates go higher than 50 basis points, we're going to start to see cap rates have to adjust with that. Um, that's just my thought because um, we've got a lot of investors right now in the market who are finding that the cost of money is so cheap that even though they could stroke a check for cash today, they're considering doing financing. Um, the other piece of that becomes if I'm in a 10 or 15 year lease that has a fixed cap rate today and my interest rate over time goes up with a balloon, I'm behind the eight ball 10 years, 15 years from now. So I have to be really, really careful uh, of what I choose to do, whether I choose to do debt leverage on my purchase now. And, and my crystal ball then now has to become as the investor five years, 10 years out. And that becomes a little bit of a dicey call. How many of the investors in this space are paying on cash and how many people are putting some leverage on it on average? Um, from my perspective, and you probably know on the developer side what you're seeing, my perspective, I would say that the uh, probably 75% of the people out there right now are paying cash because we have so many 1031 investors out there. But they are, some of those cash buyers are converting over to uh, using debt. The other 25% um, are clearly using leverage. It's kind of... I don't know what you're well, saying. what we're seeing on a lot of the offers that we, we get in, Michael, mm -hmm. um, 
is you have the 1031 buyer uh, that's looking for a new property, but the property actually is, is, you know, the sales price is more than what they're they're trying to to, to purchase. So we are seeing some financing contingencies in, in our contracts on on properties that we're selling. That's interesting. And it's such a competitive environment too. I guess, are you seeing some folks that are coming in and, and they're paying cash so they can have a competitive offer and then they're financing it later? Yes. In fact, uh, one of the investors we worked with this year have purchased several properties and they've gone back now and taken uh, two or three of those properties and uh, put debt on those properties. And we're in the process of taking the cash money that they got out of those that debt and reinvesting it now in other properties. And, and in doing that, they're getting, they're seeking a little bit higher risk, meaning a higher cap rate, mm-hmm. maybe not as solid of an investment grade tenant to increase their yield. So they might have bought in originally at a six cap rate. And now they're looking at six and a 6.75 or seven cap rate properties that are still very good quality properties, mm-hmm. but it allows them to continue uh, their cash on cash use of their monies. You know, that's one of the, I think the benefits of commercial real estate in general, especially single tenant, is you know the leverage and the benefits uh, that inflation can give you on a long-term hold on commercial real estate of, of putting leverage on it. And then if you add to that the positive leverage that I guess you're still seeing in the single tenant net lease space, right? You're start, still seeing some of that. I mean, if you're getting paying a six cap, what are you financing uh, the financing portion at today? Is it four and a half? What are you seeing for rates? Um, in terms of if I put uh, 60 or 65 percent down, mm-hmm. um, I will get a 3.9 percent wow. rate on a five-year balloon, a four and a quarter interest rate on a seven-year, and a four and a half percent on a ten-year uh, balloon, and that could vary depending on all kinds of factors. Well, that's very interesting because there's that's some pretty good positive leverage. Mm-hmm. And, and so that would lead me to believe that as interest rates do go up, that you're going to lose that spread on that positive leverage, and it should impact cap rates and values of these properties. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what does that mean for you guys? Well, obviously, <laughs> higher cap rates, less money. Uh, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the activity with tenants today. I mean, it uh, seems like the economy is coming back. Some tenants, uh, especially in the retail world, it seems to be uh, you know, in flux today with online sales and, and brick and mortar uh, stores sometimes having and struggles. But, uh, and, then you, and then there's st- some stores like high end and low end are doing really well, right? Uh, so what do you guys see? What tenants are active uh, in the space today, Scott? Um, we're still seeing a lot of activity by the uh, dollar stores. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, Family Dollar, Dollar Tree merger, I think Family Dollar is going to slow down quite a bit uh, until Dollar Tree gets their arms around uh, around what's uh, going on with them. But uh, I just heard yesterday that Dollar General is going to do 900 stores next year, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, we're still seeing a lot of QSR mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one quick, of the quick uh, service restaurants. Quick service mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the new things that we're really seeing are specialty grocery, and while that's not all typically triple net, there are triple net opportunities in that arena. Okay, well stay with us. We'll have more on the single tenant net lease investment market, including some more tips. I'm Michael Ball. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show.
Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about single tenant net lease investment properties. We have Scott Lindstrom with us. He is with Gerard and we have Nancy Miller here with Bull Realty. And before the break, we we're talking about some of the tenants expanding. Nancy, what do you see out there? I mean, it's always interesting, I think, to people to see what types of tenants are expanding. What's, what's doing well? Well, uh, the, the greatest volume that we're seeing is Dollar General in the numbers that we're seeing uh, year over year. There were about 71 uh, posted in CoStar, which is one of the databases that we use, 71 uh, new properties. And uh, Family Dollar also had, as Scott uh, mentioned, a lot of activity, 39 new properties. The other actives are the QSR, Quick Service areas area. Wendy's, the most active. Starbucks, which is an interesting surprise because they've been quiet for years. And uh, then we've got Burger King, KFC, and a little of the Taco Bell. And on the auto sector, uh, Advanced Auto Parts seems to be uh, fairly active. Um, those are the top guys, and we see less involvement of, of the banks, not not a whole lot of new banks, and some other bits and drabs, and obviously no video stores anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I'm glad the auto parts stores are, are still expanding, so I can get parts for my General Lee, you know, my old car I'm driving around, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Are there some new tenants also out there in the space? Um, you know, not new, but but Starbucks is is expanding recently uh -huh. and using using some select developers. Um, you know, Hobby Lobby uh, primarily has been an inline tenant. Is now looking at doing a lot of freestanding stores, uh, looking to do 50 to 70 uh, next year. Um, so we're we're working on some some deals with them. Um, once again, I, I kind of to reiterate the, the specialty grocery uh, has just kind of taken off. You know, there's been huge huge public demand for for, I guess, a different type mm -hmm. of, of model in that, that segment. Yeah, these crazy healthy eaters. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> they're just everywhere now. <laughs> Can I, let me ask a question. What do you see about the Walmart neighborhood stores? Are you seeing any of that uh, continuing or? I, I see that continuing. They're, they're, they're one that, you know, one tenant that still is growing. I mean, th those deals are, are, are fairly tough from a developer standpoint to get mm -hmm. done. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're still th very thin margins. It's not something we want to pursue. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. yes, the, I, I see them continue to grow in their, 2016 and beyond. Their price point is is like unbelievable. You know, they're a four and a half, five cap rate is what I've been seeing, which yeah. is crazy. That's interesting. And you're, as you're developing these new spaces, what are you seeing for construction costs? I mean, we hear that labor costs are going out, uh, are going really high. How's that impacting you? Well, construction costs over the past four years, the previous three years, what, what we had seen was uh, material pricing increasing due, due to energy costs rising, primarily products you know, made with oil. Um, currently in today's market, um, you know, as a lot of retailers are, are, are heating up and, and expanding, what we're seeing is the subcontractor base is creating uh, higher labor costs uh, and increased profit margins on that level, overall increasing you know, the construction costs, which now we're at a point with some of our, our value tenants that the costs are, are almost too high to actually economically make a deal hurdle. 
So, so they're actually walking away some, from some potential opportunities. And I see that carrying on into to next year and 2017. Well, what's got to give there? I mean, they know what their sales are, and they're, they're, they've kind of had to have a rent range they can afford, right? They, they do. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of retailers have gotten more savvy on looking at their total effective rent structure being 10% uh, or less of their, their overall sales forecast. And they're really trying to stick with that. So unless they want to reduce their return, return on investment, um, I don't see these deals moving forward. You know, unless so, they unless they decide to start you know decreasing their profit well it's interesting I think you know as a as an owner of land or a seller of land and when you're talking about a new development sometimes that's really the only thing that can change I mean you know the the, the end product is going to sell a rent for what it's sell a rent for the construction costs are what they are today the development costs are what they are the spreads or margins you need for profit are there it's the land price that gets adjusted right that is correct. If you want to sell the land. That's correct. We, we've had many opportunities this year to go back to, to landowners to, to basically get price reductions to try and make deals work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, we sell a lot of land and we hate to hear that, but, <laughs> but it is what it is. It so is. you think these uh, labor costs are going to continue or, is, or is, if they hire more people, is this, is this going to subside a little bit? Well, I think after, from, you know, uh, us being a general contractor as well, the way we look at it is you know, having gone through that recession before and a lot of construction companies going out of business, um, a lot of people don't want to invest in the, the additional infrastructure. They want to be very conservative. It's not to say they're not going to grow the company and to, to offer, to have the ability to go do more, more projects. They're just being very, very conservative, particularly on the subcontractor level. Yeah. Well, it's got to be a challenge. I mean, and we're hearing that from uh, the other show guests that we have, the developers and uh, uh, even the uh, the REITs that are buying some of these properties, that construction costs are, are a big problem, even building out office space uh, for tenant improvements today. So, well, we'll hope it does subside a little bit. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the single-tenant net lease investment market. I'm Michael Bull. Stay with us. Are you in accounting, banking, or technology? Advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking about single-tenant net lease investment properties today. We have Scott Lindstrom with us with Gerard. We have Nancy Miller with us from Bull Realty. And one of the things that I'm wondering about, you guys are in this sector, in the space every day. Are you hearing anything from tenants about the new FASB lease accounting changes coming up? Where they're going to have to put these leases, uh, these operating leases, on their financial statements, uh, and they haven't had to do that before. Are they saying anything? Are you hearing anything about maybe wanting to do more self-development or wanting shorter lease terms or adjusting their anything? Do you hear anything, Nancy? Um, Michael, yeah. I surprisingly haven't heard word one from either the, the tenant side mm -hmm. or the buyer investor side. They, I don't know. They, what's, what's FASB? Yeah. <laughs> Michael, it's the same on my, my end. We have not heard one word uh, from a tenant, uh, even when negotiating our leases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, I find that very interesting. Uh, I think it's the, the single tenant net lease uh, market is the, is the sector that I think will be most impacted uh, as some of these tenants may uh, want you know, think about shorter lease terms if it's if the economies are there to do it, right? 
uh, you know, as a developer, if, if they decide to go from a long term of 15 year or 20 year lease to, to a 10, that's, you know, that's really more risk of uh, an R end, which, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to look for a higher return on cost, which is a higher rent, which I, I don't see a retailer particularly caring for. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this may ultimately lend itself to, to retailers doing more self-development unless leases can be fabricated in such a way to address these these new rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the rules, I, I've done a little uh, research and reading on the FASB proposed this, that, and the other, and it's as if I need to, it's Greek to me. <laughs> it's, it, it is so complex that I just can't imagine, you know, law departments of uh, tenants and outside counsel are going to make a lot of money trying to decipher what the bottom line yeah. is. It's very complex. Yeah, well it is interesting and uh, you know our tenant reps here at uh, Abul have gotten into it pretty heavily and I think it's going to be uh, a big impact for these tenants and the way they want to structure their leases, the way they want to structure their operating expenses, the way they want to structure their renewal options. So I think it's going to be big and uh, it'd be interesting to see if it one of the things I haven't heard anyone say that, that I'd be interesting to see as well is if there is a couple of years down the road an inclination of these tenants to maybe do to own more of their own facilities than lease because of this or to have shorter leases might it put even more strain on the supply in the single tenant net lease sector might there might be even less supply and even cap rate compression that like we haven't seen before because you know if you can't find a 20 year or 15 year lease or if it's hard to find you know two years from now obviously because of supply and demand the value is going to go up well uh, the other thing that i want to ask you guys about is 1031 exchanges you know, Congress was looking to raise the income, raise money for the for the government, right? And they're talking about the 1031 exchange. How many of the transactions you guys are involved in are 1031 exchanges, Scott? Quite a few. Yeah. Um, the typical sales that, that we have are, I would say, 85% to 90 are, are 10, 10, wow. 1031 buyers right now. It's, it's a significant uh, amount, would have a significant impact mm -hmm. uh, on the overall Mm -hmm. Ten, ten, I mean, triple net industry, right, so. right, and and it's amazing because you know if the if Congress abolishes it, you got a lot of a lot of money that's going to stop flowing, right? Because every one of these transactions has surveyors, has property condition assessments, has lawyers, has brokers, has developers, has construction people. I mean, it could be a huge impact on the economy if they kill it. It could, um, you know, just as you mentioned, the number of business transactions that are outside the actual sales transaction, you know, that, that income that, that gets eliminated that, that was taxable mm -hmm. just disappears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Nancy, you want, might not be able to pamper your dogs as much if these uh, <laughs> are the 1031. How many of your deals are 1031? I, I would say that probably 75% are, uh, and they're big 1031s, they're people who are selling a, a family asset, a big thing, uh, rather than just a small transaction where we're having to place multiple properties. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just finished one of those, and we have another one where we're, and I'm, I'm glad for the business, and I'm also worried that I'm gonna have to really scurry to find quality things for these guys within that limited 1031 time frame. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's good uh, for business, but it is challenging, and 
um, it, it will be interesting to see how FASB and a lot of these things uh, impact this, but I don't yeah. think the feds will get rid of 1031s. Well, let's hope not. And if you'd like more information on 1031 exchanges, uh, reverse exchanges, construction exchanges, and the sort, we'll have some links uh, at the show website. Uh, just visit CREshow.com. Also, if you'd like to know more information on the FASB lease accounting changes uh, and the details about that, we have an article in the show. We'll have a link uh, here at the same website and and uh, we're going to take a short break when we get back i want to talk to you guys about some of the lease clauses and some of the terms in these leases that that you're seeing because as you know we make the single tenant and net lease uh, investment market sound pretty sim simple but the devil's in the details right in these leases so there's a lot of things to to watch out for and uh you know uh, some of the uh clauses that uh, are in there can really impact the value of these leases can't they yeah yeah, uh, very know. much so. Yeah, so so stay with us and we're going to get back and uh, talk about some of those clauses. We're also going to talk about some of the gotchas, right? Some of the problems because, again, you know, you can get your arms around single-tenant net lease investing, I think, pretty easily. You, know, you can understand the, the credit of the tenants, the locations, and these leases. But sometimes there are some minute things in these leases that can cost some expenses and some kind of gotchas that, that you weren't ready for and can impact value. So if you are investing in single-tenant net lease properties, uh, use a broker who specializes in it every day. Make sure you use an attorney that does the same. So stay with us. We'll cover those gotchas and those lease terms when we get right back. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about single tenant net lease investment properties. We have Nancy Miller here with Bull Realty and Scott Lindstrom with Gerard. And one of the things I'd like to ask you guys about, uh, Scott, if you could start us with is some of the lease clauses and, and terms you're seeing in these leases uh, to maybe to watch out for and some of the changes you're seeing there. I think some of the, the, the trends that we're seeing, Michael, uh, are really favored toward, toward the tenant. Um, we're seeing the elimination of percentage rent clauses. And I think that's a, that's a factor of, of when the tenant gets to, to the, the end of the initial term is they really don't want the landlord to understand how well they yeah. potentially are doing. So when it comes to them renewing that, that five-year mm -hmm. option period, that they may want to negotiate that rental increase that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. One of the other uh, things that we're seeing are confidentiality clauses. Um, whereas when I go to you know, list a property and sell it, and, and Nancy's inquiring about what the sales of that, that store and how it's performing, you know, I'm not able to divulge that information. Um, we're also seeing um, a lot of tenants as, as part of the deal that's negotiated during the lease term is TI, uh, the ten, you know, tenant improvements, and, and they, want, they want to roll that into the actual rent structure. And what that does from, from my end is it, it creates a rent that's above market value and makes that a more riskier asset mm -hmm. and potentially harder for me to sell. What's well, interesting is all that affects uh, the end value and the, and the whole, the math and the whole development and the lease and everything else because, you know, just one of them to, to as an example, if you can't tell the investor 
the sales, they don't know how well the store's doing. Uh, they've got to figure the worst and it depletes some of the values. So that's very interesting. Well, Nancy, what are some tips to close the show to, to investors investing in single tenant net lease properties? Um, I would say a couple things. One is uh, request your due diligence as early as possible, um, depending on the complexity, uh, your leases, your third-party reports, and things that the seller or the developer may have so you can uh, feel f- confident that you understand what you're doing at early on and not be surprised. Along with that, make sure you, if you can, do a site visit as well. Uh, Actually, go look at the property. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, secondly, um, make sure that when you're reading that lease, that it is a true triple net and that you as the landlord aren't, oops, responsible for roof structure, parking lot, and so forth. If you are, sometimes as a new property, there is a transferable warranty on the structure on the roof, which is good, and you want to make sure that that does come to you. And probably thirdly, if, if you're really concerned about all these low cap rates that we've been talking about, it may be a great time to look at a really high quality double versus a triple net lease because it's going to increase your cap rate or your yield on the property. Right. So you're going to incorporate the operating expenses that you're going to have to pay to maintain the parking lot and the roof in your NOI uh, and your cap rate, but you're going to get a better cap rate because it's just not as clean, so you're going to get a better return. That's right. What are some other uh, ways to to get a higher return is maybe taking the risk of a a shorter lease or something like that? Yeah, um, definitely, uh, for example, we've got some properties listed that are dollar store type properties that are in the low eight cap rates. And you say, oh, that's exciting. And I'll tell you, they have five years, six years left on them on the term. And they may not be on Maine and Maine. They may be in a smaller market. And they may be the smaller format of that store, but it's a high performing store. And uh, the uh, tenant probably is very happy with that. And they'll keep that store rolling forever. So that's one, one way to uh, skin that cat. Right. So with that risk of them not renewing, possibly you get a higher return, but there can be some big risks there. I, I heard uh, yesterday someone bought a single tenant triple net deal with a year left, and the tenant left immediately. They don't own the property a year. And I guess they, from what they paid, they thought the tenant was renewing. Uh, so be careful there. Make sure if you, you're doing some math on the tenant return and you know what you're doing. Uh, Scott, Nancy, thanks for joining Thank us. You. Appreciate Thank your you. insight today. Thank and thanks for joining us on one of the 47 stations, iTunes or YouTube. We appreciate you. Next week, we're going to talk about hospitality. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.